Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Annette Marie Lantos Tilleman Dick. Today we're going to be talking about Acts chapters 16 to 21. And I just wanted to start with, uh, you know, continuing our discussion from last week, where we talked about the difficulties that the church was having, specifically about circumcision. Oh. And as we start chapter 16, we have an interesting story here that kind of helps us understand that this, you know, conflict is still happening in the church. And, so, and the, one, the one thing I was, is that they come to a decision, they try to promulgate that, but not everybody is on board or not everybody even knows. So what happens here is Timothy is brought into the church by Paul. His mother is a, a, a Jew, but his father is Greek. And so I'm sure that Paul sees greatness in Timothy, because as we're going to be reading in the epistles to Timothy, Timothy does become a major leader of the church. He was well taught by his mother and his grandmother, they say, right? He was, and plus well taught by Paul. Oh, yes. And so Paul takes him and actually circumcises him. So, I mean, poor Timothy had to go through that. After we just have found out they don't exactly. need to do that. And the, the main reason why Paul does that is because people are questioning the fact that his mother was a Jew, but his father was Greek. And so to help him as a new member of the church, you know, he does this. So we know that there's still this contention about circumcision versus not circumcision. You know, Mariana, it is very interesting. And to me, it testifies of the the authenticity of the scriptures. There are stories in there that why would they put this story in? You know, it's not a great story. They, we just read that you don't need to circumcise people anymore. But there are details in this story that make so much sense and ring true. And one of them is that if a father is not circumcised and the mother is Jewish, it is not unusual that the mother will choose not to circumcise her son because the father says, I want my child to look like me. Sure. And that's the way it goes. And I know these stories. And so to me, it just is a little funny detail that says, these are the real stories. Yes. These, these stories map onto my unfiltered experience of life in very sort of unusual and specific ways. I love that. Well, we also have in 16 verse 5, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. And that's kind of the theme of these chapters that we're going to be talking about today. Because the church is just booming. And yet, along with that boom, we're also going to have a lot of people that are not accepting. And it goes back to that comment that you made last week about these institutions that are threatened. Are, are threatened. They're not happy about all of these people joining this new church that is kind of changing the way, you know, things have happened for millennia. And now all of a sudden... Christians are changing things. I mean, we really understand that, you know, as Latter-day Saints and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there have been periods when it's been worse and periods when it's been less bad. But, I mean, the, the whole thing of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints not being Christian, that was a big, huge 
thing for a long period of time. And there were individuals, devout Christians, who I knew. I remember the the um, man who used to be the dean of the Yale Divinity School where I attended. Um, this was af long after I graduated. We had our home. We had many children. He came to visit us in our home. And we were just doing what we always do, you know, praying, reading scriptures, being our family. And he said during dinner with us, said, clearly there may be differences, but for people to claim that members of your church are not Christian is just false. And yet many very good Christians have made that their mission. So I think it's important to understand this in that context. I think it sheds light on what was happening here. There was a lot of threatening stuff happening as everyday new churches were being formed. Right. And and it is that big. I mean, as we're reading, especially Paul, as he goes to his second and third missionary experiences that we're going to be talking about today. You know, we talked about how his first missionary experience, which lasted, you know, about three years, and realize each of these missionary experiences, it was about three years. And during this time, he has these amazing events that happen. I mean, they're pretty incredible. But along with that, we also see so much tribulation, trial, contention, even missionary torture, even. You know, and, I mean, it's and, just awful. I mean, he deals with enormous pressure and, and torture, and, and he has to be so faithful. He's thrown into jail, put right. into shackles, put under armed guard, over, you know, um, stoned. But we also have the situation, you know, in the last, at the end of the last chapter, where Barnabas says, okay, let's go off on our next mission. Let's do it. And he says, I'd like to bring John Mark with us. And Paul is like, yeah, no, I don't want to go with him. I mean, these are real things. They would not need to put their, them in there if they wanted to give us a glossy picture right. of yep. what happened, you know? And, and we're going to see this too. Um, if we go to verse 9, there... This idea of Paul also having the spirit that helps him know where to go. I mean, you can imagine there was a lot of different places where he could go. Yes. And he goes to these big cities. And I think of New York. I lived in New York for, for a while, especially growing up. And going into New York, it's huge. And if you're in a big city like that as a missionary saying, all right, I need to find people that would be interested in the church Missionaries do that all the time where they have to rely on the Spirit yes. to find those who are willing to listen. Because in a big city like that, there's going to be lots of people who aren't willing to listen. And so he has a vision, Paul does, in the night that a man stood and said, come over to Macedonia and help us. I love that. I know. You can just see. So this is not an angel. This is actually a man yeah. pleading for help. And so what does he do? He goes off to Macedonia to find this person that is seeking the truth. The interesting thing here is in verse 10, we also have a change in point of view. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. And that we helps us know that Luke joined Paul on this missionary journey. And so he is actually telling firsthand what had happened during this time. It's, it's kind of fun, you know, as you're reading through the book of Acts, which we 
understand is written by Luke, who also mm -hmm. wrote the book of the Gospel of Luke. Um, we understand that Luke was present and knew Paul well, but suddenly you're reading and there's the we, and then there's another we, and another we. And you realize, of course, they traveled together. So he really had an opportunity to learn the stories of Paul's missionary experience. Exactly. The other thing that we see too here in verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple. And the fact that she was a seller of purple also shows that she probably had a lot of money. Very because, well established. Because well established. And so she worshiped God, heard them. And you notice it says, heard us. So that means Luke was there too, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things that were spoken of by Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up is that we see also in the New Testament, especially as the new church goes out in missionary work, that women become such a strong force in Huge. this new Christian church. Huge force for good and for protection and for caring and devotion. I mean, it is wonderful. You, you, because, you know, you realize this was, these books were written at a time when certainly women were not put front and center. We are, I mean, women are still sort of fighting for their rights, as it were. Um, but, but the writers of they the use New her Testament. name. That's oh, a big Many deal. names. There's Susanna right. and Lydia and Priscilla. Lydia is particularly dear to me because I have a wonderful daughter-in-law named Lydia, who is a woman of great faith and great wisdom. And so I, when I read this, it, it touches my heart. <laughs> oh, I love that. I did also want to point out that um, basically later in, well, in the next chapter, chapter 17, but I'm going to put this here because we talk about women. It says when, when he goes to Thessalonica. Uh, uh, Thessalonica. Seth Thessalonica. <laughs> right, I'm very cut proud that one of out. my lisp of the past. I know. Thessalonica. Cut that one out. <laughs> Thessalonica. Um, basically, we have this wonderful part where they said, therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. So the women, again, are mentioned very specifically here, that the women are joining the church yes. as you know a major force in this early Christian church. But we have a great story that happens here where Paul kind of follows that pattern that we talked about last week, where he goes to the synagogue, he preaches to the people, and then he has a lot of people that like what he says, but the people that are there, the magistrates, the people in charge, are not happy with the fact that he's finding success. And this one is a little bit different because they actually put him, the magistrates rent off their clothes, commanded to beat them, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, even to the point where they're in the inner prison and they made their feet fast in stocks. So I can't even imagine. And at this point, I mean, can you... Being in stocks, having your back ripped, you and know, they must stripes. Be really blessed by the Lord to have enormous fortitude. It, we've mentioned it before, but you know that 
place in the Book of Mormon, and I'm I'm not as good at quoting the place, but where the heavy burdens were laid on the women and on the men. And they said that the Lord made them strong to bear their burdens. He must have made Paul and Silas and those who traveled with them strong to bear their burdens because here, after being tortured and thrown into jail, um, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises, praises unto the Lord. It. And the prisoners heard them. And then what happened? <laughs> Well, I wanted to share just before we go on to the and then part, <laughs> Elder uh, Craig Christensen in the last general conference, he made a, an interesting point about joy. And when I saw that part about saying praises, this came to mind. If we really understood the true value of true godly joy, we would not hesitate to sacrifice any worldly possession or make any necessary life changes to receive it. And this also goes with Elder Cook's Carl B. Cook, not Quentin Cook. But he also made an interesting comment about this, too, where he says, regardless of the size, scope, and serious challenges we face in life, we all have times when we feel like stopping, leaving, escaping, or possibly giving up. But exercising faith in our Savior Jesus Christ helps us overcome discouragement, no matter what obstacles we encounter, just as the Savior finished his work, he had to do. He has the power to help us finish the work we have been given. We can be blessed to move forward along the covenant path, no matter how rocky it becomes. So they are in a rocky place. Very rocky. And not only are they in a rocky place, but they are still finding joy in that rocky place. There is a lot of joy in this book of Acts. And I would I would say that that would be a fun project to go through and see all the situations where there is a lot of joy in the midst of all the turmoil, in the midst of all the in the midst of all the hassle of these travels. Because these travels, when you think, I mean, I find it a hassle to travel now when all it involves is either getting in my car or getting on an airplane or whatever. Throwing a suitcase together like, and I hopping mean, on a plane. I find it I to know. be annoying and a hassle oftentimes, you know. But there usually is joy on the other end, you know, yeah. I will say. But can you imagine their travels? How much more arduous they were. Oh, definitely. And then they get there and they have to do these, they do these great sermons, a great rounding up of people and sharing the gospel and then people are excited then people beat them and throw them into jail and but they're singing and they're singing and at this point there's a great earthquake and so this earthquake you know pr the the basically all the doors were opened because of the earthquake and everyone's bands were loosed and we get the keeper of the prison awakes out of his sleep and he thinks, oh, no, all the prisoners are going to be gone. I'm going to be the one that's going to be blamed for this. And so he's about ready to kill himself. Because that's his responsibility, you know, these prisoners. And right. they are they're going to be gone. Right. And there's nothing he can do about it. And Paul cries out in a loud voice and says, oh, don't harm yourself. Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And then he called for a light, sprang in, and came trembling. So the jailer is like, I can't believe it. You know, he's running in just so amazed. And then he, you know, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I know. It brings tears to my eyes. And, you know, I I think that it's such a good example, to put it mildly, of these, of these missionaries for the Savior 
they aren't worried for their own lives. They are worried to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this situation, Paul was certainly impressed. There are times where he's impressed to get the hens, you know, to get out of Dodge, as it were. But in this situation, he was impressed to stay and to think about the implications for this jailer. And then, of course, the jailer... His really heart thinks, softened. Oh, right? and he's he sees their wounds. He takes them to their home. He dresses their wounds. You know, I mean, how much good was accomplished? How, by, by this open heart, we heard that Lydia's heart was open. Was opened. But Paul's heart is open. All, you know, and, and these missionaries, their hearts are open. And this, this jailer, for whom it would have been, he would have been killed. He right. was quite sure. He doesn't just say, oh, good, you know, lock him up. He also says, who is this man right. who has stayed here? And then he, he, he ministers to Paul and Silas. And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And that's when he does. He takes him into his home. He washes his wounds. And they are all baptized, he and his house, straightway. straightway. <laughs> I love that word, right? <laughs> I know, immediately. And then we have this funny ending of the story, which I love, in that the magistrates come back and sent the sergeants and said, well, go ahead, let these men go. And Paul goes, no, <laughs> I am a Roman citizen. You did this completely unlawfully. You need to come and come to me face to face. And you have to get you have to get the superior authority to come here and let me out. And let me out. And and I love that because that is so, so and then the sergeants are like, oh no, and go to the magistrates and said, you know, we heard they were Romans. You know, we didn't realize that. We thought they were just Jews. We didn't know they were Roman citizens. And so um I, you know, and, and then they desired them to depart from their city. And so the magistrate does come and Paul does leave. But it's also interesting, Paul goes back to Lydia. And I love that we start this chapter with Lydia joining the church and opening up her heart. And then we end with Lydia taking Paul and these missionaries that have been through, yes, it, it was a miraculous experience, but I'm sure horrific. Oh, as well, yes. and Lydia takes him in and and takes care of him. So wonderful! That, my Lydia's like that. She would always she would always do that. take care of them. But but, but I want there. I I wanted to mention a story that came to my mind as we're talking about this, and that is that you know I remember reading it. I've read you know this many times, and you know it's interesting that they just said let them go. They came in and said, oh let these guys go. Right. It's like, why would they do that? And then I just remembered a really interesting story that happened to a friend of ours. He wasn't, we didn't know him then, but we've heard the story in retrospect. He was a young Hungarian man in the 60s. He, very bright man, he saved up exchanging money on the, on the black market with foreigners who came in, mm -hmm. money, sewed it into his shoes because he was determined he was going to get out of Hungary. And he went to Yugoslavia, which was a freer place than Hungary, and was told that you just need to walk in this area and keep walking and walking and walking. There is no fence there or nothing significant. And once you're over that fence, you're in Italy. So he had mapped it all out. He was doing it. He was walking. 
and he was shot. Not dead, just injured. And they, Yugoslavian border guards saw him and brought him to jail. Okay. And he was wow. in jail. And he was there for an, a month. And while he was there, he talked to everybody and he learned a lot more. He wasn't badly injured. Mm -hmm. um, and after a month, he said, they came in and they said, just let them go now. Just like they did in this story. Just let them go. When he left, he, after collecting all this information, he realized where he had been misled a little bit. Right. He went to where he was supposed to, and he walked and walked and walked and walked, and finally he was in Italy. He walked and walked, and he went to Switzerland, and eventually settled in Switzerland. He joined the church in Switzerland. Oh, wow. He became, he's a wonderful leader they had he and his beautiful wife was looks a little like you mariana actually <laughs> they had they had 12 children as well oh, great and great. but you know he had sewn his money was still there in his shoes and he was able he started business now he he has built many many successful businesses but what i think is so interesting is the same thing happened to him that he was thrown into was, jail and then and then let go. they just said oh let him out you know well, then he didn't we, complain. He didn't, he didn't say no. He's like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. <laughs> then we have them going to Thessalonica, which I'm ha always having a problem saying. And after that, he goes to Athens. Now, the Athens story for me is one that all of us, well, you know, know very well. But the one point that I wanted to bring up is when we talk about this idea of philosophy. And how all too often, especially as academics, we're always into the latest and greatest philosophy. What is the latest and greatest here? Love what is the latest right there? Right. Oh, yeah. Love it. And we had these Athenians that are kind of going overboard oh. about that. Matter of fact, to the point where they say, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. So he was on Mars Hill. He Paul is there, and and you know if you've been to Athens, you know there's the Acropolis, and there it's quite grand, and I'm sure it was grand, grander back days. then. Yes, I'm sure too. And and there was a lot of philosophical debate and discussion, and they were excited to hear this new idea. And so then we have all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. That's all they wanted to do. They just wanted to hear something new. Doesn't it sound like our time? It does. And that's the reason why I, I really put that into a different context than I've ever done before. So Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. And now it's interesting if we look at that word, it's in careful in divine things. And I thought about that, how sometimes we do become careful in divine things in that we just get so, you know, a little bit like the Pharisees, where we just just get so one-minded without being open-minded, which it's they needed to be. good for us to read it. It's good for us to recognize it. And it's good for us to question it in ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think it's so, these scriptures, that's why um, President Nelson, at, as he talked about peacemaking, at the end of his talk, I love what he said. He said, I, I love President Nelson. He said, I know many of you are listening to this and hoping there are others listening. Yeah who will change their ways and make your life easier. 
He said, but I really want you each to think about how you can be a peacemaker. And I think when we hear these stories, it is so important to rigorously apply what we're in our lives to I our agree. own spirits and our own lives and our own practice. So he says, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found the altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him declare I unto you. And then he goes on. There is a stone on, and it's still there. And, and it's it still there. Is it the same? I, I mean, it's there. It says to the unknown God. It's hard to read. But it was, I remember when we went to the Acropolis, it was pointed out to us. Isn't that wonderful? But he goes on to teach them about God, this unknown God to them. And at the very end, he says, he says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. I love that. I know. It's, it's like, so okay, wonderful. come on. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So he's again kind of bringing it to them. And I love that as missionaries, when we go and we talk to people based on their traditions and say, you know, everything that's good in your traditions, please bring. Right. Because he even said, for in your poets, yeah, they have said. Yes, and others he devote the Epicureans and the Stoics, you know. You know, for we are also his offspring. And he says, yes, I believe that too. But now you must repent and you must come over to this new way of thinking as well. And I, I love that what he tells them is, we are God's children. We are mm -hmm. all God's children. I am a child of God, and you are a child of God, exactly. no matter who you are. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Well, and then we have Paul, uh, then goes to the Gentiles as well. You know, I just think this is amazing to see the fact that over and over and over again, Paul is successful, then he's rejected, then he has to leave. And as you were pointing out, sometimes he has to leave very quietly because if he doesn't, he's going to be killed. And yet over and over again, we see this opportunity that he has to be a great missionary, to start churches all around the Mediterranean. And, and in this effort to, to truly take the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. I love um, what he does say in 20... Before we leave Acts 17, I just wanted of to... Of course. Um, 26, he says, um, when he says that God, you know, should not be worshipped by, you know, things of man's hands, but he hath made us of one, of one blood all nations of, I'm going to say people, he says men of people, for to dwell on the, all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, but that we are of one blood, all the people on this earth that he has created for us. What a wonderful thought. What a thought that has not grown old and that can be revolutionary in our time as well as in theirs. Well, and we talk about the Church of Jesus Christ, and now we are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And isn't that our message too? Exactly. That we are one, that this gospel of Jesus Christ is for every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Exactly. I mean, it's so beautiful. 
It is. And, and, um, and so timeless in the message and, it, and its importance and, and its importance. So, but along with that, we also have this idea of covenants and covenants have to be made in the right way. And so in chapter 19, we have this interesting experience where Paul is going to Corinth and then to Ephesus. I'm sorry, I'm going to cough. <coughs> so we can cut that one off. Marianne, have a little. <coughs> I just need, <clears throat> I think I've been talking too much. And I You're doing water. great. I mean, you've been talking a lot because you have, you're teaching too. Sorry. Welcome, pause. <laughs> All right. So now let's go to chapter 19. Oh, 19 is very exciting. Well, and I think it's really interesting as we talk about the power of going out and being missionaries, it's also important for people to understand that covenants are important. And authority is important and being given the proper authority. And here we see it going berserk, you know. So, so in chapter 19, Paul is coming to Ephesus, and he said unto these people that he's talking about, disciples, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So, you know, they've been supposedly baptized, maybe. Matter of fact, they he goes have, on. They were baptized by, the by John. John, by water. Right? Which is so interesting because, frankly, when I, when I first knew that I had to be baptized, I just thought it was something that meant you know you go in, you get the dunked in the water, and that's it. And it was interesting to me that oh, and then you had to receive the Holy Ghost. So I and can the two relate have to, to be them together again. Right? It's one of those little details that, having lived my own life, I'm just like. Yeah, that can happen. That happened to me, you know. So prophet, the prophet Joseph Smith said, baptism by water is but half a baptism and is good for nothing without the other half. That is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So Paul understood this and yes. he's trying to teach these disciples because they said, well, you know, we had John's baptism and right there, Paul understands that, you know, yes, you were baptized by John, but that's not the full baptism. And then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And so the fact that these people already were disciples— that they believed in the church, they had not had those covenants. And I think that's the other part that as a missionary, I know a lot of missionaries will go and teach the gospel to people and people will say, I know it's true. But I've already been baptized. Exactly. Or they'll say, I know it's true, but I don't want to take that step of baptism. You know, whether it's because leaving a tradition that they don't want to, you know, go into that covenant. Causing waves in their family. There are a lot of reasons. And there's lots of reasons. Yeah. And Paul is setting a standard. He's saying, yes, I understand that you're disciples, that you're believers, but you also have to have this covenant. Now, in this case, of course, they were they were just 
ignorant of this opportunity mm -hmm. and they were lining up. And I think that the Lord, which I have seen that happen, that the Lord pours down his spirit. Sometimes one gets the, is blessed with the gift of the Holy Ghost and there's no immediate manifestation in your life. It is something you learn to appreciate and to um, harness, I'd even say, or to use and to, to appreciate um, as you get older and I mean as you learn you, you understand the blessing that comes from understanding how the Holy Ghost works with you but oftentimes maybe at your baptism for some people there's no big experience um, these people had a major experience a major experience I will say when I was baptized and then I got the gift of the Holy Ghost it wasn't that I immediately began speaking in tongues but for the year following that in retrospect I can see that the Lord blessed me to be filled with an unusual closeness with the Holy Ghost, that it prompted me and it guided me and it protected me in ways that weren't, they were unusual. Oh, how wonderful. And, and I'm grateful. It kept me very strong. That and the Holy year. Ghost can do that. Yes. And it doesn't have to be right after our baptism. No. You know, it can continue. I mean, that's the reason why we receive the Holy Ghost. It becomes a part of our lives throughout our lives. Now, there are some pretty amazing stories here in 19. Do you want to well, share some of those? Well, kind I, of I'm just going to, I know we don't want to talk too long. What we do see is that there's huge faith in, in Paul at this point. You know, people have seen him perform wonderful miracles and people are saying, you know, they're bringing him handkerchiefs. Just if he touches it, they believe. And again, you know, he, it, it, it's important for him that they understand this is the power of Jesus Christ, not right. his own power. And he's very strong about and, that. And there are, they say, there are vagabond exorcists who see what he is doing. And um, they, um, I want to read, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, mm -hmm. took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus. Here we're talking about who has the authority to do it. Right. So these exorcists say, he is doing amazing things. Let's us try that. Mm -hmm. And they do. And they say, we adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preached, to come out of right. these men. And there was, and this, so there was a, a um, very distinguished Jewish priest who had seven sons. And um, they, they did this there, you know, asking. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was was leaped on them, meaning on these seven sons, <laughs> right. and overcame them. And they fled out of their house, they said, naked and wounded. So it was really the power going berserk, you know. Sure. I mean, because people were trying to use this authority without appropriate authority. Right. And there were reactions, but they were crazy reactions, not people peacefully, you know, sitting down and calm, but rather being attacked. And I just think it adds to the wild ride in acts, you know, from the the storms and the earthquakes and the um, everything. And we also have these seven young men running naked out of the, um, the house. I mean, there are lots of things that happen. Well, and I think along with that, it is another witness of what's being trying to be taught here. It starts with, the positive authority, 
the fact that Paul's saying, look, we need to have these covenants done properly with the proper priesthood. And then we have this other example right after of someone trying to do the same thing without the right priesthood, without the priesthood and authority of Jesus Christ. And when we mess with that authority, yeah, bad things happen. And that's, that's a great example of that. Then we go to chapter 20, and for me, chapter 20 is very bittersweet because of my daughter, Amy. My daughter, Amy, was a missionary in Argentina when, in Argentina in 2001 and 2002, it had the worst economic disaster that they've ever had. And, you know, some people might be familiar about what happened in that they had a a president that basically took a lot of the money of the country, and a lot of people just lost everything. Well, during this period of time, Amy was a missionary in Argentina, and it was such a difficult time for her because as an American there, a lot of the Argentine people felt like America should have come and helped, you know, that they should come and help this economic disaster. And of course, America didn't. And so people just lost everything. And so as an American... a lot of faith in America, too. They sort of thought of us as this good, great country up north that wouldn't let this happen. But it did. But it did. And so it was was a hard time. It was a hard mission. Interesting. During that hard time, she read basically Acts 20. Hmm. And this, this scripture here became her mantra during that hard time. And so this is Paul. He's coming to the end of his third missionary journey. And he's talking to the people there that in, and so he's here, he's in emphasis and called the elders of the church all together. And he's, and I'm starting with verse 18. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Now he's been there for years. And he says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And we've talked about how the Jews all over Asia were constantly the ones. They were coming to Christ on the one hand, and then there were others who were definitely trying to put him into prison and everything else. And this is the phrase that she had, and how I kept back nothing. I kept back nothing was a phrase that she had actually engraven onto her ring that she kept the entire time while she was on her mission. And that became the mantra. I kept back nothing. And that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. And I love that, that thought that do we keep back nothing? in the way that we serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Do we make sure that everything we do is giving our all, our complete self, and everything we have? The word apparently in Greek means to stretch yourself till you can't be stretched anymore. And I think moms understand that because we oftentimes keep back nothing. You know, we just have to... I I remember the Incredibles, you know, that... Or the mom. With the last mom. <laughs> I, I can so relate to that, you know. But and and I it's interesting that the word for that is used to keep back nothing means that stretched to the absolute limit of what he could be stretched. 
what what and uh, that's what happens when we keep back nothing we become stretched but with that stretching we grow exactly and isn't that powerful and i think that is so important to understand that yes we are stretched we keep back nothing it doesn't feel easy or comfortable in that process it is exhausting it is it can be blessed too it can be but there are times when it's just exhausting um and yet we are it's like exercise you know when you're exercising and you're pushing yourself pushing yourself and then you can do a lot more than you thought you could ever do and i think in this process of being stretched and giving keeping back nothing Amy probably had a lot more to give when she went forward in life mm-hmm. having learned how to Definitely. stretch in that way. Now, I that is such a beautiful story to associate with um this chapter 20. I will say one of my there's a story that I love about Paul coming and everybody gathering together on a third floor where he's giving the, one of his great sermons. but it's late and it goes on and around midnight um one of the faithful who was sitting in a window probably because it was hot up there too sure um falls into a deep sleep and as paul was long preaching he sunk down and with sleep and fell down from the third story and was taken up as dead and i mean that it is i mean it is again one of these details that you just have to you can so imagine it you know on the third floor great right hall coming <laughs> to preach but it's late and on the th- and he's in the window because hot. it was hot you know yeah. he's sort of gotten himself in there and he falls asleep and he falls out of the window and they're like oh my gosh you know he died but paul runs down and he revives him and uh, which is of course another miracle trouble you're not yourselves for his life is in him and this is the funniest part and when he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while even till break of day so he departed and they brought the man young man alive and were not a little comforted so he goes down he revives him <laughs> he goes up and continues to talk until daybreak and i mean isn't that It's wonderful in a way. It's a wonderful story. It is a wonderful. Uh, but um I'm also was glad that that boy who was sleeping was brought, was brought back, back to life. To life. Yeah, I know. I'm really happy. <laughs> well, and that's another thing about Paul during these these chapters is that we see him acting like Christ. You know, that where he is continuing as a disciple of Christ in every way in terms of the love he has for the people. but also in the miracles that he does with the people and the way he teaches the people and he never takes this unto himself that's right it's always in the name of Jesus Christ and of course did this. Jesus ever take it unto himself no it was in the, his father's his father. name mm-hmm. always well and then here we we also have this kind of sad moment and it is very sad and i i also want to go back to my amy when at the very end of her mission we did go pick her up there and amy is um my my second my second oldest but she was the first to go on a mission my my oldest is a a, a daughter who di- didn't go on you know didn't serve a mission but she got married and right. has did a wonderful family but my um amy she did go on a mission so she was my first and so we went to argentina 
And while we were there, the thing that just struck me was she was coming to the end and there were so many people who loved her and who would come up to me and just thank me for having this daughter because of what she had done for them, the things that she had done for their lives. And I thought of that. It was the first time in my life that it really struck me how just having this wonderful daughter also brought so many other people to Christ. And Paul kind of had this same experience where he, at the end of, he's saying, um, all these people, he's saying goodbye to people. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. And the people are all clustered around him and they are knelt down and praying and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, because they knew he was leaving and he was going back to Jerusalem, and Paul knew what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem and that he was going to be imprisoned. So he knew what he was going back to, and yet at this point he's with the people that he loved, the people that he brought to the church, and that loved him because of what he had given them, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, we know that Paul was supposed to be sort of a crusty guy in certain ways. He was a, but he, people felt the love and devotion which he had. And, and, and I mean, later on, we'll see that people didn't want him to leave and they didn't want him to go back to, to Jerusalem. And we aren't talking about that part, I don't think, today, but I know that that had a big, oh, yes, it's, well, we are, are we ending on chapter 20? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that that's uh, so Sorry. Uh, take that one out too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe um I'm sorry because I I will just tell you something that when Timber was in the hospital my late husband after this car accident. Do you want this to be on? Not right now. No, I okay. just But but um I opened to chapter 21 like Amy, you know, when she got this beautiful scripture. Oh, well, go ahead. We could do that with 21. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it was very powerful because it, what it does is it shows the ways. That we can end with that. Let me. Okay. Okay. So we're going to start again. I, sorry. Okay. okay. So uh, as we talk about the missionary, you know, this missionary time of Paul, I also thought about what Elder Bednar said. He said, I testify the Savior's promise to abide in us is true and available in every covenant-keeping member of his restored church. I testify that as we press forward in faith and walk in meekness of the Lord's Spirit, we are blessed with power, guidance, protection, and peace. And here at the end of 20, when Paul is saying goodbye to the people he loves, I thought, you know, here he is. He still, he knows that he's going forward to Jerusalem to be imprisoned. He knows what is going to happen to him. And yet he is feeling the peace and the love that he has from these other saints. And he is faith-filled, knowing that he is doing the Savior's work. Yes. Now, as we end with chapter 21, I know that you had a very special experience with this chapter. Well, I did because, you know, as Paul, um, I'm <clears throat> as Paul is determined to head back to Jerusalem in spite of his sense that this is going to be an enormously difficult re-entry to his, right. um, to the center 
of the faith, as it were, then. Um, he is begged by others who love him not to go. And I, when, when my late husband, um, he was in an automobile accident and suffered in that accident what were lethal injuries. It, um, and when I was in the hospital with him, I was wondering, as were people who knew him as a very spiritual person, that he was not somehow prompted by the Spirit not to take this trip. Mm -hmm. And as I was pondering this, I opened to chapter 21 in Acts. And here I read of Paul that he came in and he came the next day. Um, we, the, we, Luke was still there, that were in Paul's company, departed and came unto Caesarea, Caesarea, which is close to Jerusalem. Not, mm -hmm. I mean, it's close. It's in Israel. And um, we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, so another missionary. Right. And um, there were, um, there were, he had, there were, one of the people who was there had a daughter, daughters which prophesied. And while we were there, another prophet named Agabus came. And when he came unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet. This is what I'd read when I was really asking the Lord, why did this happen? And said, thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle. This was Paul's girdle. And shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Meaning, you know, it was going to be, it was a dire fate that await, awaited him right. if he went up to Jerusalem. Um, and when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him, besought Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, and when I read this, you cannot imagine what it meant to me as I sat next to my husband who was struggling for life. What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. And then this is what really touched me at that point. It said, and after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. You don't hear about carriages that often mm -hmm. in the scriptures. And I just thought, I felt like the Lord was telling me Timber needed to make this trip. And it was part of his divine destiny. And that's why he didn't not go, even though there was this terrible accident. And it was very interesting because later I was visited by a member of our stake presidents who I had not known before. He had come, his name is, I remember right now, his name is Ryan Jobes. And he was advised by the people who knew me. They said, don't go. She only wants to be with her husband. She doesn't want to see anybody. He said, I really had a strong experience that I need to share with her. And it was true because we had to, it was, he was in the burn unit. I had to take everything off. Mm -hmm. But I, they said, this man is here to see you. So I did, I went out and it was it's a sweet story. He held out a, a um, bag and he said, my wife made this food for you. And he said, I really felt I needed to come and tell you because when I heard Brother Dick had this accident, I couldn't understand it. I'd met with him in my position and I felt like he was one of the most spiritual people I'd ever met. And I thought he would have known. He said, and so I prayed about it and I fasted. 
And I felt afterwards that he was supposed to go on this trip. And this was a part of his experience. And then Ryan Jobes told me something that made a great difference in those last days that I had with my husband. He said, my mother was very sick with cancer. She was dying and she was in the hospital. She'd been there for weeks. And we always had someone stay with her from the family. And it was my time and I was there. And she'd been in a coma, but she came out of the coma while I was there. And he said, I didn't know what to do. I was like, mom, mom. She put her finger to her lips and said, Ryan, don't talk to me. Only speak to me in thoughts. And then she picked up a picture of the Savior that we had in her room. And she said, he doesn't look like this. And he, and then, and he shared this story with me. And I went back because Timber was in an induced coma. Right. And I'd been trying to talk to him. But at that point, I tried to communicate with him only in thought. And I will tell you that it was one of the richest and most important experiences of my life. And the point of sharing this in relationship to this incredible set of scriptures that really spoke to me and that Brother Job's had the same experience and came to share it with me, I knew Heavenly Father wanted me to understand that this was part of our destiny. And I also want to say that when one feels strongly you need to do something, as Brother Jobs did, even though people, good people said, don't do it. She really doesn't want to have any visitors. And they weren't wrong. Mm -hmm. His visit transformed the last days I had with my husband into a very rich and meaningful experience because I really was able to communicate with him. And I think that we learn here that sometimes Heavenly Father will ask us to do things that aren't going to be easy, but mm -hmm. he wants us to do them. And people who love us will say, don't do it. But we need to be true to the revelations we receive. I agree. Well, that's a beautiful way to end. I do want to say what a wonderful example Paul is to each one of us of the concepts that you were talking about, that first of all, we followed the Holy Ghost, that we follow what the Savior asks us to do, and then we're true to our testimonies of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So thank you so much for the discussion we had today. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you.